Okay. First things first, let's get the elephant out of the room. Are you sweating? Whoa, Josh. There's a lot of sweat. It looks like it's like some man has imprinted their, his face upon me. You've got the ears, you've got the head. Um, that is my son. I've been looking after my son. So, okay, let's just... We've got that out of the way, okay? That's the elephant. So hopefully we can concentrate now on the Bible and not wonder... Why does Josh sweat so much? Uh, if you've got your Bibles, please do open to John uh, chapter 11. We're going to be continuing our series, Real Jesus, where we look at who Jesus is in the book of John. Uh, if you're a visitor, it's great to have you with us. Uh, what we do every week is we uh, worship before Fika, then we have Fika, and then we open the scriptures. Because we are in the incredibly privileged position that God speaks to us through his word. And it's amazing. The creator of the heavens speaks to us in his word. And so that's why we open it every week. Um, and so we're in John chapter 11 this week. And we're going to read a story. Now, before we read the story, I want to ask you to... Imagine you're in this story. Okay, so it's going to require a bit of imagination. It won't be raining. It'll be a nice warm day somewhere in the Middle East, a small town called Bethany just outside of Jerusalem. But I want you to imagine what would you say if you were put in this situation that we find in the story? Or what would you do? if you were put in the situation that we find the people in, in the story. So it's John chapter 11, and we're going to start from the beginning. The words are going to come up on there, NIV, and I'm going to skip a little bit in the middle, but we're going to read a bit of a chunk. Okay, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know who will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. 
When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got, she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to moor there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But, Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come. They'll take away both our place, our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better... For you, that one man die for the people, than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. absolutely incredible amazing story just put yourself in the position of Mary and Martha these two sisters okay their brother is sick like he's really sick he it looks like he's got not going to make it but they have a friend called Jesus and then know that this Jesus heals they know that he heals and so they send word for him and as they wait day by day the brother gets worse. Eventually, the brother passes away. The brother dies. Lazarus, your brother, dies. And then Jesus turns up. Imagine, what would you have thought? It's this incredible position. If only you had been here. And Jesus says, where is he? And they say, he's over here. 
and they take him, they take Jesus to the grave. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And then your friend, Jesus, shouts into the cave of your dead brother. Lazarus, get up! And your brother, who you have said goodbye to, who you have mourned for a few days, walks out of the cave. It's just an absolutely amazing, amazing story. It's just absolutely incredible. Your, your, your brother was dead, and now he's alive. He's been dead in the grave for a few days, and now he's alive. It's incredible. And really what I want us to see in this passage is two threads, two different things. And the first one is this. We can trust Jesus. This is really, really important, I believe. We can trust that Jesus knows what he is doing. We can trust in Jesus' timing. Even we can trust in him when it looks like it doesn't know what he's doing. Perhaps he's gone silent. Or perhaps you're in a situation that you didn't think you'd find yourself in. Or perhaps you're thinking about the future and thinking, what's going on? Perhaps you're in a tough situation at work or at home. We can trust Jesus in everything. And that's the first thing I want us to see. When we uh, bought our house, uh, we had a little bit of money left over. And when, when we got married all those years ago, we, uh, we got given some money and we went, drove down to Ikea. In England, you have to drive about two hours to your local Ikea. Here in Sweden, it takes about five minutes. You have about five different Ikeas to choose from. But we drove down in our car, in our small car. We, we spent all our wedding money on furniture from Ikea. And it was brilliant because we drove it all home and we put it up and we had furniture. It was amazing. Literally, in the morning we had no furniture. In the afternoon we had furniture. When we sold our house recently, we had a bit of money left over and we thought we'd upgrade a bit of furniture. We'd get slightly better quality furniture. Not saying our key is bad, but slightly better <laughs> handmade <laughs> uh, furniture. And we went into the store and we ordered this nice cupboard and we paid for it. We chose the colours and, and, and we said, great, let's get that home. And the lady said, oh, that will be probably four to six weeks delivery. And for me... I mean, that almost broke the deal. I almost was like, right, that's it. We'll take a refund and go back to Ikea. Because I find it really stressful having to wait for things. And then, in fact, after the six weeks, so we, I'd, wait and be re I'd waited and I was, I was really good. Six weeks has come. There's no furniture. I'm looking out the window. Is today the day? Is it the delivery? <laughs> nope. Is today the day? Eventually, I ring them up. I'm like, where's the furniture? They're, oh, it will come soon. Look out the window. Is today the day? Mm -mm. Is today the day? super stressful I find it super super stressful and communicating back in Jesus's day was a little bit similar to ordering custom furniture you never completely knew when it was going to come you never completely knew has he got the message or or when is he going to arrive it wasn't like Ikea where you can just you know you're going to get it they didn't have phones shock horror they didn't have Facebook I know this is rocking some people's worlds. And so communicating, sending a message, you didn't know when he was going to come. And so the sisters, Mary and Martha, knowing that their brother is dying, knowing that he's sick, 
would literally, every day, you can imagine them opening the curtain. Is today the day that the healer's going to come? Is today the day that Jesus is going to come and pray for our brother who is literally dying in his bed? Must have been incredibly stressful. Incredibly difficult. Our brother is dying, Jesus. Where are you? Has he got the message? Has he not got the message? When is he going to come? And then eventually what happens is that Lazarus dies before Jesus turns up. And so you can understand that the first thing that both Mary and Martha do when they meet Jesus is say to him this, if only, if only you had been here, our brother would not have died. If only you would have been here. And it's important for us to put ourselves in their shoes. That's why I wanted us to try and imagine a little bit. Because it's easy to read a story and say, oh, we get healed, it's all good. But just imagine your brother has died and potentially the cure, the healer, the one who heals, could have healed him. I don't think our question to Jesus, our statement to Jesus, would have actually been that much different if we were Mary or Martha. Oh, Jesus, if only you were here. Perhaps Lazarus would still be alive. I wonder what would you have said in that situation? And actually, I believe that we can approach Jesus in a similar way today with this if-only question. Perhaps you've been praying for a healing and you would come to Jesus and say, if only you were there, you would have answered my prayer. Perhaps you've been thinking about going somewhere or doing something or reading something or praying for someone and, 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 and Jesus hasn't yet answered that prayer and so you kind of come to Jesus and you're like, if only you were here. Later on in the story, that sounded dangerous, <laughs> Oscar doesn't appreciate that. Later on in the story, uh, we see another conversation. Jesus asks Martha something. He asks Martha to move the stone away from her brother's tomb. And in doing that, Martha comes straight back at Jesus and she says this, but Lord, but Lord. And again, we've got to put ourselves in her shoes. So Jesus has come up to her and said, move away the stone, or to a group of people, I guess, move away this big stone. And, and she says, but Lord, he's been dead a few days, he's probably going to smell, this is not a good idea Jesus, what you are telling me to do is not a good idea, trust me on this one, I know better than you Jesus. And again if we ask ourselves the question, what, what would you have said? For me, I, I would definitely have said something similar, are you sure you know what you're talking about Jesus? My brother's been dead a few days. Are you sure you know what you were talking about? And the reality, again, is that we do often say, but God. Loads of different circumstances. But often when Jesus speaks, we end up saying, but God. 
but Lord. In the scripture, it literally says, but Lord, said Martha. And I could just scribble out, scrub out, delete, however you say it, Martha and put Joshua. Jesus tells Joshua to do something, but Lord, Joshua said. And the problem that Martha has is this. Martha approaches Jesus with conventional wisdom. He's dead. It will smell. It's been gone a few days. Jesus, what you're saying is not a good idea. But what we have learned as we've gone through the book of John is that Jesus is unconventional. In a wedding in Cana, right at the beginning of John, the wine has run out. There's a social disaster just about to happen. And so Jesus says, hey, fill up these jugs with water. It's unconventional. And take it to the master of the feast. A little bit later, he sees thousands of people hungry. Thousands of people hungry. And so he says to his followers, right guys, he doesn't say let's go down to the local Lidl or Ica. He says, right guys, two fish, five loaves, give it to everyone. Jesus is unconventional. And further on, we see, uh, Alid spoke about it uh, very recently, that he sees a blind man, and so what does he do? Get down to your local spec savers, kind of, you know, go to the doctors. No, he sees some mud on the ground, and he spits in it, and then he wipes in his eyes. Jesus is unconventional. Martha's mistake, and Mary's, was this, that they boxed Jesus in to this conventional wisdom. Jesus is an unconventional God. He does things that we don't expect him to do. He is miraculous. He is amazing. He is the creator. And we need to learn the lesson because Martha thinks she knows best. She thinks she knows better than Jesus. And we need to learn the lesson. It's why it's so good that, we, that God has been so good to us in giving us scripture. It's not just so we can look Christian. It's so that we can learn from it. It's the words of God. And so often we see the disciples confused. And here we see Martha saying, No, do you know what, Jesus? I know better. I love prayer meeting on Friday. We had a great time of worship this morning. I, I really connect to God during worship. And I just, I'm always reminded of how big he is, that he's the creator. I love reading scriptures and seeing, in the beginning, God. And like these incredible truths of who God is. And, and it's like, he's amazing. And, then, and then, he, then it's Monday morning, and he says, you know, Josh, go and speak to that person over there. Or go and pray for that person. Or, or do this. And do you know what I say to the creator of God, a creator of the heavens and the earth, to God, I say this. But, not sure, not sure you, you've got the, the best plan there. I think I know better. But God. For me, we want to be a church full of disciples, full of people who are becoming more like Jesus. And I believe that Christian maturity is very different to human maturity. One day, Freddie, my son... I wasn't going to use him as an example this morning. I thought I'd do one Sunday without using my son as an example. Rubbish. It's not in my notes. One day, my son will be mature and he will leave my house. Job done. He doesn't need to listen to daddy to tell him to 
not eat sand, to, <laughs> to eat his potatoes and his vegetables as well as his meatballs. You know, he will be able to decide on his own. He will be mature. That's not Christian maturity. I would say that Christian maturity is completely the opposite. Christian maturity isn't becoming more dependent of Jesus, of God. Saying, do you know what, God, I've been a Christian now 10 years, I know my Bible quite well, I've got a good prayer life, you know, I've seen a couple of people. It, I think I know, I, I know best now, I can go at it alone. That's not Christian maturity, that's Christian immaturity. Yeah. Christian maturity is becoming more dependent on God. And saying, do you know what, I need you even more. I believe, like, I hope that when I'm 70, I will need, know that I need Jesus more than I do today. That is Christian maturity. It's becoming dependent on Jesus, not independent from Jesus. And so in this case, Martha, in maturity, could have just said, yes, God. Do you know what? My, my wisdom, my, my, my thoughts, my, you know, my experience up until now is don't open the cave of a dead man. But if you say it, I'm completely dependent on you. And the thing is, we can sort of come back, well, Josh, it's okay for Martha because she hears Jesus' voice. We don't have that luxury today. He's not with us. Well, what we've seen before this chapter, literally, John chapter 10, the chapter before, what does Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice. We are sheep. We are Christians, we are sheep, okay? And we hear the shepherd's voice, we hear Jesus' voice. It's what he's been saying. And we hear his voice. Alad really helpfully spoke to us about this last week through scripture primarily, but also through each other. And that's why it's so important to be part of church. Um, so important to read your Bible. In fact, at small group on Wednesday, there was someone who said something and, uh, during the discussion, and someone else pulled out a quote and, and it was clearly something from God, if you ask me. It spoke into the situation. That's why we do community. That's why it's so important not to be alone as a Christian. It's because we hear his voice together. And so the question is, when you hear his voice, will you be someone who says, but God, I think I know better, or you say, yes, Lord? Such an important question. Such an important question. I want us to be a people who say, yes, Lord, not but, Lord. He goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say this to Martha. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I don't know, like, the guy gets healed, and that's an amazing story, of course, but there's a little bit of sadness there, I think. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Guys, can I encourage us, as a church, to believe in Jesus so that we can see the glory of God? Believe that he can do the impossible, whatever that might be. And it's not just raising dead people called Lazarus who are in a cave. It's all sorts of things. My heart burns for that. At prayer meeting on Friday, we... We just listed a whole bunch of names of people who want to be saved. We want to see people saved. Why? For the glory of God. I want to say yes, God. And I hope you hear. I'm not, I'm not saying yes, God, all the time. I often say, but God. I'll do that later. But God, you want me to pray for that guy? Well, there's other people around. They'll probably think I'm a bit weird. I don't think that's a good idea. I know better. I say it all the time. 
I need to hear this. But I want us to go on a journey together and become just a little bit better at saying, yes, Lord. The second thing I want us to see uh, is, yeah, that we see the shepherd heart of Jesus in this scripture. Um, for me, I've just been really impacted just by reading John 10 and, and just seeing that God is a, a shepherd, that he loves us. And what we see here is, in the scriptures, we see a way, one of the ways, what it looks like being a shepherd. And Jesus says, uh, oh, it's, oh, it says in John, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In this scripture, we see Jesus weep. We see that he is deeply moved and we see that he's troubled. Jesus loves us. It's so, so important that we get this as well. Jesus is the shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and he loves us. And he demonstrates that here by weeping, by being actually angry towards death, deeply moved, troubled, that his friend has died. So God, Jesus is not some far off God that sort of like is emotionally attached from us. He weeps when he sees Lazarus dies. Literally, it's a verse on its own. Maybe even the shortest verse in the Bible, possibly. Jesus weeps. Don't quote me on that. Just we'll, we'll edit the recording if that's wrong. <laughs> it's just come to my head. It's a two. It's a two-word verse. It's incredible. Jesus weeps. He's emotional. This is the shepherd heart of God. I wonder, do you know this about Jesus? Do you know that he loves you so much? That when he sees suffering, that when he sees you go through suffering, or, 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 or ones that you love go through suffering, he weeps. He's not blasé. He's not, oh, well, you know, they deserve it. He weeps. This is, this, is the, this is the heart of the shepherd. And it's more than just being upset about a friend. I believe in here we see an anger towards death itself. Jesus knows this is not right. This is not how it should be. People were not created to die. They were created to be with God. He knows that it's not right and he's angry towards it. And so he gets angry. He then, another aspect of the good shepherd is that he does something. He hears that Lazarus is sick and after a few days, he goes. And in fact, he goes into a position of danger. He goes into a position of danger for the ones that he loves. It's so good to hear this, so important. In the previous chapter, what did Jesus say about the good shepherd? He says, the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. A hired hand i.e. not the good shepherd, someone pretending to be the good shepherd, as soon as they see danger, they will run away. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and if I see danger, I will lay down my life for my sheep. And then we see this afterwards, the chapter afterwards, we see a demonstration of this. Jesus going into a place of danger. This is a place where he's just escaped from because they're trying to stone him. And his disciples are like, you shouldn't go back there. You shouldn't go back there. It's dangerous. And what does Jesus say? He says, one of my sheep is in trouble. They're sick. I'm going. 
there's this physical response of the shepherd. This is the shepherd heart of God. He doesn't just get sad and think, okay, well, kind of, you know, you're on your own. He does something. He goes into an incredibly dangerous position, as we start to find out. And he does that for the ones that he loves. And really, we see this all over. I've got a slide which you can quickly chuck up. Uh, he has compassion, okay, basically. All the way through the Gospels, we see Jesus has compassion, he does something. He has compassion, he does something. He gets sad, he, he does something. And the bottom line is this. Jesus loves people. That's it. That's the bottom line. And out of that love, it moves him into action. And the final uh, uh, verse is this. It doesn't all fall on Jesus. Out of Jesus' compassion, out of his love, he sends us into the harvest. Originally the disciples, the great, 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 great grandparents. <laughs> but now he sends us. Out of compassion, out of his love, he sends us. That's why we're planting a church. It's because of Jesus' compassion. It's because he is the good shepherd. It's because he loves the city of Gothenburg, the nation of Sweden, the world. So he sends us out into it. That is, that is the gospel. And we are called as a group of people to, to plant a church, to start churches hopefully, because of the shepherd heart of God. sheep without a shepherd it's like Gothenburg it's sheep everywhere without a shepherd and God's calling us to go into potentially dangerous or embarrassing or strange situations where people might laugh at us and do all these sorts of different things because he loves them because he has compassion and I think just to say a little bit as well it's okay to be troubled and angry at sin and death and suffering in this world Jesus was troubled when his friend died. I think it's really important to understand it. It's okay to be angry with death. It's okay to be angry with sin. It's okay to be angry with suffering. Jesus was. But we shouldn't misdirect our anger to Jesus. There's so many people that I've spoken to who would... It's one of the common reasons why people don't believe in a God is, well, how could a loving God allow suffering? Many, many people would say that. How can a loving God allow suffering? The reality is this. Jesus would also say a similar thing. He would also say, I'm angry at suffering. But then he does something about it. So let's not misdirect our anger towards Jesus about suffering, but let's say with Jesus, we're angry at suffering, let's do something about it. Let's tell people the good news of Jesus. And that really is our message. That really is, how do we do something about suffering? How do we do something about sin? How do we do something about death? It's this, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That is our message. Jesus died and he rose again to conquer sin and to conquer death. So that's our message. When we see suffering, what do we say? Jesus is the way. When we, we just need to look at Jesus. And I added jokes with 
us last week and said this is Joshua also always says it's always about Jesus but it is all about Jesus he is the resurrection and the life Lazarus foreshadows a greater death and resurrection Jesus and on that cross we are now able to confidently say with Paul in 1 Corinthians where O death is your victory where O death is your sting death is not the end because Jesus is the resurrection and the life And so Jesus' anger towards suffering, towards anger, towards death, took him into action and it took him to the cross. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me, even though they die, they will not die. That's just so good. It's so good. We can get excited. He has dealt with suffering. He has given it the blow. It is, it, like, he has dealt with suffering. Once and for all, on the cross. So that we can, we can come into a position one day of being in perfection with Jesus. Where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. We'll be with God. Yeah. And we'll be worshipping him. Yeah. Yeah. And he, God will change my voice to one that can actually sing. So I don't give everyone a headache. Otherwise there will be headaches in heaven. <laughs> uh, and then we just see, just quickly to touch on this, there's this conversation that happens in the Sanhedrin between the Pharisees. And when I read it, I kind of imagine a government, like political parties debate or something like that. And they're sort of all angry and they're all a bit hot and flustered. And they're sort of like, and they're like what are we achieving here? What are we accomplishing? Here's this man who's performing many signs. And, you know, if we let him go on like this, if people will believe in him and, and then the Romans they're going to come and then our temple they're going to be destroyed and us as a nation Israel is going to be no more we need to do something about it and then this, this high priest stands up I imagine and says you know nothing at all I have the idea and he says this it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish this is the enemy's best plan to get rid of Jesus this is it. The enemy thinks it's got his man. Let's kill him. Temptations in the desert didn't work. I've got it. We'll kill him. And then in that way, we will save the whole of the nation of Israel. Unknowingly, that high priest who is trying to get rid of Jesus is prophesying exactly what needs to happen. It's this incredible moment of God being in control of everything. Again, we need to trust in God. Because the enemy's greatest plan to get rid of Jesus is to put him on a cross. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, I can almost imagine, probably doesn't happen, but I can almost imagine God hearing that conversation thinking, yep, my son will die. And yep, the nation will be saved but not as you think it, not how you think it. And the nations will be saved. It's just beautiful. And it reminds me of uh, the story of Joseph in Genesis, at the end of Genesis, where he has a tough situation. <laughs> Brothers try to kill him. It's pretty tough. And, and you know, they eventually end up selling him. This is a horrific moment in his childhood. And... Or, I don't know how old he was, but at the beginning of his life. And 
he's able to speak to the same brothers that did that to him, that tried to kill him and eventually sold him. He's able to speak to them at the end of his life and he says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And Paul in Romans says the famous uh, words in 8.28, in all things good work, God works for the good. And it's this moment in the Sanhedrin where the priest, the high priest thinks, they think this is the plan, we've got it, this is, this is going to be, this is going to finish this guy. In all things, God works for the good. You intended it for harm, God's making something out of it. And so we've got to trust the shepherd. We've got to trust that God has everything under control. How do we know that? Because he is the resurrection and the life. In, in raising Lazarus to life, bringing him to life, he foreshadowed, he showed a much greater resurrection than his. I'm going to invite Emil up and we're going to finish today by breaking bread, by taking communion. I just want to, as Emil prepares, really finish by just like, I hope you understand, perhaps you're in a position where you're kind of like looking out the window and wondering when is Jesus going to come? When's he going to answer my prayer? When's he going to provide for me? If that's you, I just, I, I just really want to encourage you to trust Jesus. Trust him. He is the good shepherd. He has conquered sin and death his body was broken for us. His blood shed for us. So that we can be called his sheep. He is the good shepherd. And he is working all things for the good of those who love him. And I'm confident that at the end of our life, we're going to be able to stand with Joseph and say, God, um, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Because he is the good shepherd and he loves his sheep. Uh, we're going um, to worship, uh, we're going to sing one song, we're going to thank God for Jesus, for who he is, um, that he is the resurrection and the life. And before he went to the cross, uh, he, he spoke to his close followers, and he said, uh, around a meal table, he said, this is my body, took a bit of bread, and he said, this is broken for you. And he took some wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me by doing this. And so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to remember Jesus by taking some bread and drinking some juice. And we're going to do that remembering that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That we can trust him. That even if, even if it looks like he's late or he's not turned up or where is he? He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is God. And so we just need to throw ourselves onto him. Can I encourage you? We're gonna, so what we're going to do is we're going to sing one song. Uh, and we're going to... Uh, you, you can help. This is not like we need to be super silent um, but, or stand in your seat like this. But this is like thanking God for who he is. For what he's done. Um, and so at the appropriate time, whenever you feel like you'd like to, you can go and get some bread, take some grape juice... Um, and share it with people around you. This is family. This is what church does. Um, so we'll do that um, and then we'll draw the meeting to a close.